0: Alright, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck buddies? What the fuck nicks? What the fucksters? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast. Welcome to it. How's it going? Are you guys alright? Holy shit, man. Today on the show, I talked to uh, Liesl Tommy. She's the director of the movie Respect, which I was in. It's her first feature film, but she has a lot of experience directing for the stage all over the world. I might add, it was a pleasure to work with her. She's a smart, intense person. It's, uh, it was great to talk to her. And you will be able to enjoy that shortly. I let some people in on, the, um, on Instagram Live to a band rehearsal. As you know, I am going to be playing music and uh, hosting a comedy show at uh, Largo on the 26th of this month. And I've put together, with Flanagan's help, the guy who books Largo, a little combo, It's me and a guy named Brandon Schwartzel on bass, a guy named Ned Brower on uh, drums. And I've selected these songs. Uh, I think some of them for reasons, some of them uh, not necessarily for reasons, just because I like them. But it's an odd collection of songs. I think we're doing six songs. Uh, I might do the song I wrote for Lynn at the end, just solo. But, uh, you know, it's coming together and it looks like Jimmy Vivino, the dude who plays, uh, who's taught me a lot of licks, who's one of my primary guitar teachers, really, over the last couple of decades, uh, who was uh, Conan O'Brien's band leader. He might sit in on a couple, which is very exciting. He's actually going to come to rehearsal next week. But why am I doing this? What am I trying to tell you here? I'll tell you why, because I can. So it is a bucket list situation, but I've been playing guitar for a long time. And I think the hopes on behalf of uh, the establishment, Flanagan over at Largo, is that it goes well and we make it a monthly show. I pick a few other songs. We get a few other comics. Laurie Kilmartin's going to do it. And uh, Fahim Anwar are going to be there. So it'll be a couple of songs. And I don't know, man. You know, I got a lot to make up for. You know, there's a lot to make up for in terms of my tremendous lack of confidence or discipline around guitar playing. I've become something of a, you know, unique guitar player for me. I can handle it and we're doing good songs. They're a good band, but I've had to figure out what guitar and amp. I'm no pro. I just like to plug in. I'm not a nerd. I don't, uh, I don't know. I don't have a pedal board that I can lock into. I don't, I'm not that deep. I just want the tone that comes out of the amp when I plug the guitar in. So I'm settling on something. But I guess this is what I wanted to talk about primarily is that years ago when I did some work for Gibson through Brendan Small, I was paid in a Les Paul Custom. That's a black Les Paul with gold hardware. And you don't see them around a lot, people playing them. I don't know if they're out of style. It's sort of a rock guitar. I don't know. But it was, it was it's really a top-notch electric guitar, classic. And when I was in high school, my buddy Dave Bishop played one. You know, I had my, you know, my uh, my copycat Gibson, then I had a Telecaster, but Dave really knew how to play. Even when we were in high school, he was a little older than me and he just really knew how to fucking rock out. He was sort of a prodigy and he had this beautiful black custom, Les Paul, that I just thought was just, I would never be as good or good enough to play that. I still find, I kind of feel that way. But because of some of the sound limitations at Largo in that you can't play a single coil pickup without getting an a extreme amount of buzz, that means I can't play the guitars that I'm used to and that I love. So I had to pull the custom out to see if it would work. And I brought it to rehearsal the other day with the Headstrong Deluxe amp straight in with just a boost pedal. And it was uh, revelatory. It's the perfect guitar. And I got that as a homage, as a tribute, as a reminder, as a nostalgia stop that I can take out of its case to remind me of my old buddy Dave Bishop who passed away. So there's sort of like the, I'm honoring that. I'm honoring Dave by playing this guitar. Cause that's why I got it in the first place and it just feels right. So it's kind of loaded up that way, the performance, right? But it's loaded up in other ways too, because of the song selections. And I, maybe I've talked about it, but, but things are just coming along, you know, making songs your own is where it's always been at for me because I, I never had the discipline to mimic anybody effective. I want to bring this up real quick. I want to mention that I've added more dates to my tour. Wednesday, September 22nd, 8 p.m. at the Neptune in Seattle. That's happening. Friday, September 24th at 7 p.m. at the Aladdin Theater in Portland. That's happening. And the presale for my show at Town Hall in New York City is going on right now. Go to nycomedyfestival.com and use the pre-sale code NYCF. The show is Friday, November 13th at 7 p.m. All that is happening. So some of the songs I'm doing have direct memories attached to them. We're doing a version of The Stroll by The Diamonds, which was a song my dad hit me to. It's got kind of a greasy, strippery rock vibe with a kind of like droney sax that we're going to replace with a guitar lick because Jimmy's going to play on that one. Yeah. We're going to do... Um, I Walk With Jesus by Spaceman 3 because I was turned on to Spaceman 3 by Jay Dobis Uh, I I was way high and he just kept saying like you know Jonathan Richmond is my good friend and turned me on to Spaceman 3 and some other psychedelic stuff but that song just kills me it's two chords it's genius I love it we're doing What Goes On by uh, Lou Reed uh, in the Velvet Underground because Lou Reed live in 69 was a transitional album for me it was a revelatory album for me I've used that revelatory I'm using revelatory ubiquitous uh, a lot lately Th- those two things so the velvet underground live in 69 just uh, maybe understand music in a whole different way so that's where we get what goes on we're gonna do uh, uh, we're gonna try to do and I think we're gonna do a uh, Isis by Bob Dylan, which I think I can make my own. It's hard not to phrase it like Bob, but I just love that story. I'm not even sure what it's about, but it feels like it's about uh, a relationship that I understand. And then we're going to do um, Broke Down Palace by the Grateful Dead because that's one of the prettiest songs ever fucking written. And if I can just remember the goddamn chords, it might work out OK. And I'm singing all these things and I'm putting myself out there because I have to race a bad memory. I have a bad memory to erase, and I think I've talked to you about this before. Some of you may not know because you're new here, or maybe you don't listen to me, but it's real. It's real. So the in an effort, this performance at Largo with my band, I think we'll call them the Three Chords. All the songs have two, uh, only two or three chords except for Broke Down Palace, which has a fucking mess of chords that are weird changes. They're not hard chords, but if I don't remember it and I fuck it up... Uh, It will go against what I'm trying to do here. What I'm trying to accomplish, as I've talked to you about before, is a memory. It's a memory. It's trauma from Lighthouse Arts and Music Camp, where it was the final performance by all the people, you know, doing the performances for the big show at the end of the camp. I put together this little band. All we had to do was get through Johnny B. Good. But of course I put together not being like, I'm just a swappy player. You know, I was even then. And, uh, somehow or another, I managed to get all the dudes who, you know, right on fucking right on, on cue. Soon as we had to fucking perform in the band shell for the entire camp, a couple of them got stoned. A couple of them got drunk. We're fucking 14, 15 years old. Uh, and none of them can play, but they were all giggling. I fucking get up there. I couldn't even fucking make it through Johnny Be good. I couldn't find the key. The entire thing was a fucking disaster because those are the guys that I hung around with. And the other band that was representing uh, r- rock music at the camp was just a bunch of music nerds. I don't remember their names anymore. but we we fucking bungled Johnny Be good. And, you know, I felt like killing myself. The rest of the idiots were just laughing and giggling and whatever. And then the other band got up there and in my memory played the, uh, an entire Genesis album perfectly. So now the deal with Largo is I got some, I can own who I am. I can own the way I play guitar and I'm just going to do it to feel it. And, uh, and, and entertain, perform, play music publicly, share. And if I die, this is going to be it. So there's a lot hanging on it. See, I'm already pressuring myself. But I know myself well enough just from all these years that if I don't feel good about what's happening, I can stop in the middle of a song. I give zero fucks. I don't fucking care. I'll be like, we're starting this over. I'll get a laugh. I'll make it weird. And we'll fucking get back on track. I'm gonna make this fucking work. This is a fucking a an exercise in reversing the effects of the trauma of massive embarrassment. Yeah, that's what's happening. It's a big night. So Liesel Tommy is the director of Respect, and we talked really. The, I think the day after the premiere, uh, it's in theaters now. Uh, she's a, a, an amazing director, very smart. And uh, I enjoy talking to her. So this is that. You know, the guy, the prop guy set me up with a guitar in my hotel room. And that guitar got lost somewhere. He told me it got stolen or lost. Do you know about it? <laughs>
1: I don't know about it. Oh. I, I did not hear that story.
0: Well, it's, I don't think it was a big story because I don't think a lot of them were very expensive guitars. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. Were, uh, they were uh, they were they were they looked the period, but they mm-hmm. weren't like you Correct. know custom shop guitars. Yeah. But uh, it somehow got uh, it disappeared between my room and wherever. I don't know what happened to it. It was upsetting,
1: uh, very upsetting. Am I looking at one of them right now? No, I wouldn't have taken it.
0: <laughs> I wouldn't have taken that one. No, I'm no. sure you wouldn't. Tell. So, last night was very exciting. I thought. Did you?
1: Yeah, it was pretty cool. I mean, I was one of the journalists on the on the on the carpet yeah. asked me, "How do you feel right now?" and I said, "I think I'm incandescent with happiness." Yeah. And he just was like, "What?" And I'm well, like, "I'm, I'm sure yeah. people don't really say that, but yeah. this has been such a grueling and yeah. and, you know, Scary process because COVID stuck itself into the middle of it. Yeah, you know? I know.
0: Well, at least in the release, right? Or
1: yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, well, no, because we wrapped last yeah. year in, in, yeah. in the end of February. And then, um, you know, I had a week off and right. then I dove into the edit in yeah. New York City and we were editing and we were in the edit bay for maybe seven days and then we got shut down because of COVID.
0: Oh my God. And it was such a massive editing job.
1: And I basically, we all had to retreat to our apartments and I was in my apartment in Harlem listening to sirens 24 hours a day so editing the film alone
0: it was so brutal in New York at the beginning I mean it was it just was, like devastating it was,
1: de- it was devastating I mean you know I had a lot of friends in the Broadway community and yeah. people got sick people died yeah you know it was yeah. it we did, we really did not know what was happening and concentrating on work was yeah. like an act of Just epic will, you know, Um, because we were just I was talking to writers, you know, of the friends and they were like, we can't we have no bandwidth. We can't focus on anything. All we want to do
0: is check the news. Oh, I know. Yeah. I mean, I talked to creative people that were sort of like, should I be working? Yeah. I mean, like, well, after people realized that we were in it for a while, there was this feeling like, well, I should be using this time. Yes. But uh, a few people did. And then you resented people who said they were using it. Like you know, it's like who the fuck is this person? I
1: know. How 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 what <laughs> yeah. skill do they have that I don't have that how they dare can actually you focus be inspired
0: <laughs> and motivated during this plague?
1: No, man. I mean, it was just I don't we'd have, we've never experienced that kind no, of Of course not. You know, but I what I kept thinking about is yeah. people who live in Syria or yeah. Yemen. Yeah, or People who are living You know, harrowing, war-torn lives daily for years. Or just like, you know... How do you keep your nervous system together?
0: Broken structure, lack of resources. Oh, yeah. I I don't know, but uh, people do adapt, you know. uh, Yes. I mean, it's amazing what we adapt For better and worse. Yeah. You know, some people become completely delusional (laughs) and just commit to a a fucking fiction as (laughs) a way of life, and other people try to to deal. For real, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, you know, that was 2020 was just, you know, editing... Yeah. A music movie without being able to like feel the vibe with a group of people in a room.
0: Oh, right. So there was, you couldn't, you could just pass around these cuts to individuals. Yeah. So there was no real way to yeah, they, screen. Well, what the hell? I mean, how, what's the movie at now, time wise? 225. 225. So I imagine at the beginning, when you wanted to start testing things out, what was it at like nine? Nine hours?
1: <laughs> okay, so the assemblage, the first cut of the, you know, the editors was like five and a half hours. And my favorite moment in did the early process- Did you have a place process, for the
0: intermission? Was There, like,
1: <laughs> there was did, a dinner break, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I showed the movie to Tracy, the writer, Yeah, when it was like, I just wanted her to see the whole thing, because yeah. I knew I was going to have to get in there and yeah, like yeah. cut the words, right. you know.
0: So this is the whole thing as the script. Five and a half hours,
1: script. just like purely uh, uh, as written. Right. And she was just like- so happy. She was just beaming and she didn't take her eyes <laughs> at the screen for five and a half hours. Yeah. And then I showed her like I managed to get it down to three hours and fifteen minutes. Yeah. She watched it kind of stone faced and then she said to me, I feel like the five and a half hour version flowed
0: better. Yeah. <laughs> 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 no no kidding <laughs>
1: and I was like God I love writers yeah you know oh sure and of course she, she loves it now
0: but it's just she was willing she was willing was so painful to release it at five and a half yeah people <laughs> like, people adapt <laughs> they like they she adapt like,
1: you know angels in America was sure. a two part you sure, know yeah I was like yes we, this is true
0: we could release release half now and we release the other half in six months. <laughs>
1: But, you know, that's why I love her so much. She's so passionate. She's, you know... Yeah,
0: yeah. Well, I mean, I, I can't imagine... Like, it must have been difficult. I mean, I, I don't I don't know what the choices were. I guess I could ask you, because I, I didn't know who you were coming into it. I'm not even sure. How did you find me? Because you, you got... Someone decided I was the guy, right?
1: Uh, oh, yeah. I mean, I I, I, I saw Glow. I, I thought you were yeah. oh, awesome in that. Oh, thanks. Um, I love... I just... You know, I have a style of acting that I I respond to, and yeah. it's like I don't want people to think they're watching actors act. I want people to feel right. like they're watching people live their lives, and yeah. you have that. Oh, it's super organic. It's real. It's direct. You know, it's no yeah. bullshit, and yeah. that's what I, I oh, responded. Good. Well, to. I thought I thought I
0: did pretty well. I watched. Yeah, great. In. What I was are you talking
1: about? about yeah, I mean, the fact that you could actually like watch yourself and like it—that always tells you.
0: What? Right. Why? I. I mean, I've grown. It's that's gotten easier for me. Yeah. And uh, um, Forrest Whitaker, Jesus. Yeah. Because, well, that's... Let's, I can't, We can stay on, on the story of respect mm-hmm. for a while. Is that... Because, you know, I talked to David Ritz, and I talked to... Who wrote the... the mm-hmm. Was it an autobiography with her, or did he do a biography? He
1: did two. He did one authorized and one unauthorized. Yeah, okay.
0: <laughs> so I talked to him about Jerry, because he did Jerry's too. Mm-hmm. And then I interviewed him about stuff, and... Um, and I know that he wasn't really involved in this one, but there, there is this notion about you know her life and mysteries about her life that uh, have not really come to light or come to pass, and it had to be worked around for you to get permission to do this story. So, what it was, how, where did this journey to to do her story begin, and why you?
1: Good question, because it was my first movie.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, you were a <laughs> Broadway director, really, right? Theater director, and yeah. I
1: and I did television for a couple of years. Okay. I always wanted to make movies, you know? Yeah, yeah, was, sure, and, of course. And, you know, there was a period where I was like, I think I've I had a show on Broadway that did extremely well, and I did this big thing for Disney, this yeah. adaptation of Frozen, and I was like, I think I've directed a, you can, my bucket list in, <laughs> in theater.
0: Right. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
1: and then I moved into TV, but I got this, I was actually directing The Walking Dead yeah. in Atlanta yeah. when I was told that they, th- the studio and Scott Bernstein, the creative producer, was going to call me about yeah. this movie. What get, huh? I, yeah, How I love episodes? zombies.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I do. I'm a total genre geek. Well, well, I mean, well, I mean, that's a pretty theatrical undertaking. I, it you is. got to get a got to get a bunch of zombies going. <laughs> For the crowd scene, gotta
1: stage them yeah. like it's like Shakespeare when everybody's yeah. on stage at the end of yeah, the, the final gotta. part of the the, the, the play, <laughs> right?
0: Or like the end of a musical. That's right, you exactly. Just... So, yeah. uh, oh wow! So, how many of those did you direct?
1: I only directed one. Oh, but um, I plan on directing a full More zombie zombies? movie in the future. So, it was oh, good so practice. It's a,
0: <laughs> really? That's yeah. the next one.
1: It <laughs> wouldn't that be a zombie funny? Movie? Like it's a, it's a horror movie. That's my next. A thing. full
0: zombie. Maybe you should make it a, a musical zombie biopic. <laughs> <by laughs>
1: <laughs> um yeah. yeah so uh so they you know i was in the hotel in atlanta yeah. during prep for this episode and uh they said they were going to call me and i knew that it was as a big a long shot as it could get for me to be to bag this film having not but did film.
0: you know you were in the running
1: all i knew is that they were someone had given them their name and they were calling your name
0: me. my name yeah and they were calling me yeah
1: and it was just a chat it was just like a general chat right uh, you know I just knew I couldn't afford a general chat so I I had like a whole pitch planned um, I said it should start in the church it's, it should end in the church I had a tagline I, yeah. I said the songs I talked about the style yeah. I talked you know I said it's childhood in her 20s I don't personally like birth to death biopics I yeah. feel like it just everything feels rushed Yeah. everything's like you
0: cram and stuff in and then you gotta make makeup decisions <laughs>
1: It's just like yeah. I just wanted to really feel like we were in there with her, yeah. And it be it would just be a, a specific time period to get to know how she became. And you were thinking became.
0: in th- thinking in terms of story too. That absolutely there's, a, there's an arc within the whole life or several. So you're like, well, here's the arc yes. that that makes the most sense.
1: That's right. I mean, yeah. I'm always thinking. This comes from you know. Being a dramaturgical director of right. what is the beginning, middle, and end right. of any story. Yeah. What's the central conflict? Right, you know? yeah. Um, so what I pitched them was that this should be a movie about a woman with the greatest voice on earth who uh-huh. did not know what her voice was.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's and that's pretty smart. How'd you figure that out? What were they thinking? They had no ideas? Um, to be brutally honest, yeah. they actually
1: got confused because after i did the pitch they were like wow that's pretty great and yeah. then they said you do you talk like a director are you are you a director and i was like dudes
0: wait i am what? a fucking
1: director <laughs> and they were like oh we, you, you don't want to write it I like, no i I'm a, I'm a director we should hire a professional writer to write it right. <laughs> <laughs> and then they were like oh sorry sorry we just got confused um You know, they're like, we'll get back to you. And we all kind of fled the call. And I was like, motherfucker. How's that
0: get? Where was the drop in communications? Where was the miscommunication? (laughs) Who told them I was a writer? Exactly. Yeah.
1: So then, but they actually came back two weeks later and they were like, we really like that take. We want to, we were going to start with a writer, but we're going to bring you on and we're going to make that movie.
0: Oh, wow. So it was like that. So you, you got to choose Tracy. Yeah huh and how what was your relationship what's her last name again Tracy Scott Wilson what's her what's her history with you
1: so we did a play together in like I don't even know what year 2005 yeah we were baby theater people uh huh Um, she wrote this play called The Good Negro about the civil rights movement yeah and I directed it we developed it for like four years together and then yeah we did it together and, you know, you, you kind of go through fire when you work with somebody that long. Um, yeah. And I just knew she was the person. I knew that I had a shorthand with her yeah. and that, you know, the ideas that I had for the film. I mean, there were certain scenes that, I, that just came to me that I knew had to be in the film. Like, I had this vision of that scene with her and her mom.
0: Mm. Um, at the piano th- or at the end? The end. Uh
1: huh. And I just, I, I just was like, this is- A vision the of the vision? Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, you know, I was just kind of like I, we called it the dark night of the soul. And yeah, I, I just knew what it would be, and that it should, you know. And I knew that I I could trust Tracy to, you know, to to, to hear those crazy visions yeah. and and make them work.
0: Well, I thought that you staged that really well. I thought Thank that you. by that time, you know, like you didn't really know unless you really knew the story of Aretha where this was going. But I thought you handled that well. I thought Jennifer did a really good job with that because. Thank you. You know, you really are. I was talking to somebody today. When you do a biopic of any kind, you you you're really encapsulating a myth of a person. You know, and these stories sort of. You have to choose which stories Correct. that many people may know. How do you capture those? And how it's you're all in service of this, of 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 feeding the 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 idea that you want to get across about this woman. Like, there's no like, you, you, there's you can't waste any time.
1: That's right. <laughs> That's right. I mean, you know, people are like, "Well, what about this?" or "What about," yeah. you know, he CL grew up in, you know, and I. We have to focus on Aretha, and we have, yeah. and I, you know, I've got the spine of the story, and every scene has to further that story. What
0: well, was when I watched it again last night? You know, I really realized the sort of the 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 kind of uh, weight that Forrest, yeah, you know, the mm-hmm. burden he had to to sort of be the anchor of darkness for the whole movie. Like, you know, whatever the reality of her story is, it's it's deeper and darker than is, is revealed here, and it revolves around him. So you had to sort of, you know, he was a very hard character to empathize with and a very hard character to respect in some ways because he was, But but, you know, he made some decisions about how he's going to play that guy where whatever was going on inside of that dude, you could see it and feel it.
1: That's right. I mean, that's the thing that that I, I am attracted to in, with, with certain actors. Yeah. Forrest is definitely one of them. You're one of them. Everybody on that in that film. Yeah. Whereas no matter good guy, bad guy, who cares? Yeah. You are fascinated by what's going on inside of them. Yeah. You know, you. I just never get tired of looking at Forrest Whitaker think.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's crazy. It was crazy. You know, crazy. it's
1: so complex and... Yeah. and you know, he's just—he is—he's gifted. Yeah. Um, he has an emotional complexity that is is so um, inspiring to work with.
0: Yeah, and that—and for that guy, yeah, it was kind of great.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you know, that's the—it's the same. That character was never going to be an easy character, and it would have been in the wrong hands would have just tilted into just one-dimensional bad guy.
0: Well, yeah. Right, but there were some scenes, like, you know, where he is somewhat redeemed at the end, mm-hmm. and and also, but, like, the one, the thing I didn't, like, because I only saw it, this is the second time I saw it on the big screen, was that, you know, when he and Aretha are both sitting there drinking mm-hmm. after uh, Martin Luther King dies, and you start to realize, like, oh, see, like, you know, they're both sitting there drinking almost yes. the same drink. Exactly. You know, like, I didn't really sort of notice that stuff, that that, the demon in her was him.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know,
1: we all have baggage, you know, and, and, oh, yeah. and that, that's part of the journey of the film. Is, and, and also you
0: know? like the weird kind of like and when I read about Jerry, it was the same thing. There was the, these people in that business at that time, you know, like parenting was certainly a, the secondary. Yeah. I mean, there's just a, and you sort of have to encapsulate that very quickly where, you know, basically, you know, the grandmother just takes the kids. And I think, I think that's what usually happened. Mm-hmm. Here you go. Mm-hmm. Here's another one.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, it's just somebody has to take care of them. Yeah. Somebody has to take care of them. And, it, it, you know, there was certainly no infrastructure for women to have. their. It's still that way to have their own careers. So, right. you know, it's not like the, the your husband in the 50s and 60s was going to decide to be the parent.
0: No. Yeah, I mean like I read stuff about uh, Jerry like that family situation mm-hmm. was kind of turned out very sad. Yeah. Um but okay, so you guys kind of set out to do this. Uh, what was the relationship with the Franklin estate in terms of what you could and couldn't do? How was that dictated?
1: There was really nothing that they said I couldn't or could I could or couldn't do. Mm-hmm and the truth is they were busy with their own um you know after she died there was a, they were having there was a lot of stuff they had to sort out legally themselves right. around her estate so uh, Tracy and i just did our thing okay you know and and the executor um her niece you know she came on to set and and brenda also one of the backup singers and her, you know and a cousin yeah. came on to set and uh-huh. they were awesome Yeah. You know? and they, i got to say maybe cuz you know they when they met with us they saw Tracy and I black women we were not about to fuck up Aretha Franklin's legacy sure and they they really trusted us you know um and and we were very i you know i i was like if i'm on this i need to i need to have artistic freedom
0: and there was no line I mean cuz I know that there were things that you you know that we don't even need to talk about here that were sort of danced around and suggested uh that you know would have been I uh, would have probably thrown a wrench in the movie right Around yeah. her children, and, you know, where mm-hmm. they came from, well,
1: i mean, i took I took my lead on that from she she said different things at different times in her life about oh, the, about, about where that. they came from, yeah. yeah, about who the who the fathers were. Oh,
0: yeah.
1: um, and I was like, that's that's actually fascinating. It's part sure. of the story. And so yeah. that's, you know i'm gonna I'm gonna go with that. and it you
0: was, just did it in two ways. So, you know, yeah. you did the that the, when she was a, when the kid mm-hmm. and then you did uh uh with mary, Ma- Jay. mary jay's yeah. character going like when are we going to find out mm-hmm. who yeah yeah
1: mm-hmm. and you know it's like i'm not it's not i don't have genetic tests i don't know who sure. you know and yeah, so yeah. i got to go with the fact that she chose to um be mysterious about that
0: yeah and 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 when and how was it how did it all come together with jennifer like i i mean she was the one who was supposed to do it by aretha per aretha's mm-hmm. request who, who found that? How did that all come together?
1: So here's something fascinating. You know, Jen and I were reunited in Martha's Vineyard last week um, to, for the African-American Film Festival. We had a screening there and we were just hanging out talking and we realized that we were Broadway neighbors together in 2016. I had my show eclipsed on Broadway and next door she was doing Color Purple.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, we used to call it Blackway because yeah. that was you know because I think like Hamilton was running yeah, at the yeah. same time and yeah. Forrest was doing Huey I think at the same time oh, right, we were okay. all it was yeah. like this crazy we called it like the you know Broadway block so, <laughs> <laughs> but we were neighbors and that was when Aretha Franklin asked her to be to play her in the film
0: whatever the film might be yeah. She like I don't she know she what like, it's gonna you be you were gonna
1: play me in the film right and, you know, we, we were just uh, talking about how that that, that was 2016. And um, we didn't even, you know, we had no idea that we would be doing this together then. Who made the decision to
0: make this movie? I mean, like, I mean, where did it come from?
1: Well, Scott Bernstein and Harvey Mason Jr. Um, had worked together on Straight Outta Compton. And okay. they and, and Harvey... Producers?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And Harvey had, you know, was a, her music producer for a while. Oh, okay. Um and so, so like they put it, it. you know, they put it together right. and 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 she was like, "Yeah, let's do this." And then um, you know, some there's some interview where somebody got a little like spicy with her about like, "How long why is this movie taking so long?" And sh- and she was like, "Have you do you know anything about contracts?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And she's not wrong. I mean, you know, every song is 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 owned by a different entity uh, you know so it just it's a long process
0: oh the different labels and yeah. she didn't have ownership of, some of them and
1: yeah I mean like Ted white had you know had her, her ex yeah. Ted white had, had you know um control over some of them it was oh really it was you know so he did
0: all right for himself for life like he did. out of a mm-hmm. few songs <laughs> is he still alive
1: no he passed oh, last yeah? year actually
0: no kidding yeah wow and how many kids are there
1: there are four ch- four sons
0: okay mm-hmm and they're around?
1: Yeah, they are. Yeah. They all came. They, they were Some of them were there last night.
0: Oh, really? How did they feel about it?
1: They love it. They do? Yeah. I mean, th- we had a screening for them in Detroit. Jen yeah. and I stopped off in Detroit for a couple of days this, this, this past week. Uh-huh. Um, and we had a screening for them, and it was very emotional. Well, one thing that I can tell is people are still grieving her loss. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. It, it's, it's, uh, it's very alive.
0: Yeah. And, and just to hear those songs done like that yeah. and to see that story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, what are the reviews like? I don't know. You don't know? <laughs> you haven't seen any of them?
1: No, I haven't. I, I mean, either.
0: I don't know if they're out yet. Some, they're probably there, are, be out there this were a few that
1: were out last night, and, and my friend Jenny yeah. Ledge, um or like my producing partner, yeah. she read some some things to me, and there's some gr- great things out yeah. there right now. Yeah. Oh, good. But I mean, I just feel like, let me get the movie out first before I dive in.
0: Yeah, no, I'm not going to. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like, no, it's I just, I just uh, scanned them for my name. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Type in a, ser- in a search. Mark yeah. Marin. Marin. Respect.
0: <laughs> Two sentences. Marin as Wexler did a fine, convincing job. That's a good review. It's like that was a rave.
1: <laughs> we're hit. Yeah,
0: I did it. So where, like, how did this all? How, where did you evolve from? Do you know, like, in terms of? So you were a theater director, but where do you, you, you? I, I know you come from South Africa. Mm-hmm. Like really, come from there? Yeah, I
1: was born and raised in South Africa in Cape Town, South Africa.
0: I, I can't even. I have no idea what that's like.
1: Yeah. Zero. So, in South Africa, you know, during apartheid, yeah, as you Americans say, yeah, um, we say apartheid. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: there it was. You know, systemic racism legally, right? You know, in the in in the constitution. Yeah. So I grew up in what's called a colored township, and colored is what they called mixed race.
0: Huh. And oh, there South was Africa. a difference between. Black yeah. colored. So what they white? did is they
1: they created townships for Indian people, townships for uh, for colored people, yeah. and then and then black people. But then they even went further and separated them by tribe.
0: Uh huh.
1: So that was just, everybody was separated, and it was a way to control.
0: But fenced in, or just block-to-block block kind of stuff?
1: Block-to-block, uh, block, and then they created what, you know, we call them homelands, but they are they're the equivalent of reservations.
0: Okay, and then so totally separate, to them, totally right.
1: Totally separate, yeah. Wow. I know. I and, had no
0: idea. I should know that, I guess. I don't know.
1: Well, it's, you know, um, it's so specific. And the colored community, the community I'm from, you know, unlike mixed race when people think about it here it's my parents were mixed their parents were mixed their parents were mixed like mixing started very early on wow um, yeah so the Dutch uh, brought in slaves from Indonesia and Malaysia mm-hmm. um, so it's you know the mixture of European mm-hmm.
0: um, Asian so have you do you, do you know the breakdown African.
1: My yeah, breakdown? Yeah. No, I mean it's 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 black, it's 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 black African, it's Indian, um, it's indigenous, huh. um Khoisan, it's you know, it's it's all in there.
0: But it's very it's very different than uh whatever mixed would be here.
1: Yes, it is. Yeah. It is different. Yeah, because it's generations of it.
0: Generations and it depends on the history of the country. It's mm-hmm. totally different places. Exactly. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. yeah. You know, so that was that was the, the the my childhood and my we grew up in a place called Factoryton, which is a you know pretty um, it was called Factoryton because everybody worked in factories.
0: Is this how your dad worked in a factory?
1: No, my dad was a high school teacher. Oh, um, and you know he was a very political person, and he worked at a, a high school that was known for its um, student activists.
0: Oh, and your mom? Um
1: and my mom worked. Um she left school very early and she went, you know, the women in her family had to leave school, school like before the 7th grade for the most part yeah. um because so that the brothers could get an education. Really? Yeah, that's pretty normal.
0: So like there was no room or oh so they had to take up whatever work Just in work the family
1: and and contribute so that yeah. Oh, I get it. Yeah.
0: Huh.
1: Um but she you know, she's an incredible woman, and she she basically, she, when she retired, she was like a controller for a huge engineering firm. Uh-huh. She was just somebody who... Started off as a secretary, became a bookkeeper, became an accountant, became, you know, she just yeah. very savvy. And then she also, when they went back to South Africa, so, they you know, went we, back?
0: yeah, so we immigrated
1: to the States when I was
0: 15. So by having a father who was, you know, uh, in, in tune with the revolution yeah. or the possibilities of, of that type of progress, uh, that kind of freed your mind? Yeah. Informed your, your... Oh, yeah.
1: Listen, my dad gave me the Communist Manifesto to read when I was 11. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, you know, I don't know if you know any Marxists, but mm-hmm. it, being well-read is extremely important. Um, being able to defend an argument is extremely important. So, like, as a kid at dinner, you're like, well, I feel like... And there was no... There's no feeling like. Uh-huh. What is the evidence based on that? You know, on the Oh, statement? really? Oh, yeah. Oh. It was intense.
0: So, uh, <laughs> genuine critical thinking applied.
1: Genuine critical thinking. Fe- thinking at the dinner table yeah. you know like well, just great. no no nonsense no meandering you have yeah. to have clear thoughts and you know and you would get really reprimanded if you couldn't defend your your position
0: <laughs> so, so you got to really choose to speak <laughs> exactly. about you know, whatever it is if whatever you have a position is,
1: that's correct
0: that's I imagine correct. some things. He there was a little leniency around, uh, you know, preferences of food and whatnot. Yes, that that was <laughs> that was acceptable.
1: <laughs> but you know, the thing is, when you grow up in in a country that's un, that's undergoing struggle and revolution, yeah. um, mm-hmm. this kind of thing is not a joke. It's not theoretical. You know, I, I was really raised to one day run a country. That was the expectation, that you would grow up Mm. and participate in a political system and creating a civil society.
0: Well, it's interesting because in in America, which is supposedly an advanced country, uh, the the actual uh, relationship between uh, the the civic structure and people is very vague to most people. Mm -hmm. They don't have any idea of what government's supposed to do or what it was built to do. Uh, Either they know that they hate it for these like weird ideological reasons, or, or they, they believe that it could be better and service the people more. But it's, it must have been v- much different to grow up in a place that was legally segregated yeah. in so many ways, and it was very clear every day who was free and who wasn't to do certain That's things. That's
1: absolutely correct. And we all have you know, a story of, of in our childhood when we realized that we were not free. Yeah. Every you know, my cousins and I sometimes st- still like tear up when we talk about it. Somebody was five when they realized yeah. that they couldn't go, you know, into uh, that store. Or something. Right. You know, it, it's it's really it's it's. What like was yours? Visceral. Um, it was. My, I was my cousin and I were going to see a movie. Yeah. Because I loved going to the movies. Yeah. Um, and my uncle picked us up, and he they were having tea with at, at another uncle, and so we were in a town, like a little city that we we weren't usually in. And they were gonna drop us off to go to the movies with yeah. my cousin, and then pick us up afterwards. And we went in, went to buy the ticket, and there was like a, 14, 15 year old white girl, and she said, "Oh, I'm sorry, whites only." And we just, just all like that. stood at, looking at each other, and I'll I'll never forget this because it's just like so typical of like how it is to be black person on the receiving yeah. end of that. And I went, and she just had this look of like confusion and f- like just, and I went, oh sorry no 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 okay so sorry so sorry and I like apologized to her for trying yeah. to buy a ticket from an establishment I didn't belong in In, and I turned my cousin and I away and we were like you know eight and we went to the car and I said um uh Uncle Edgar they're not gonna let us in and he said why and I said it's whites only and they just my uncle and my aunt just their faces just fell and I could see they were then reprimanding themselves for not figuring that out and
0: exposing us to right.
1: being—it was just like this cycle of horror, well,
0: well, right? Well, yeah, because the first response is that you know you've done something wrong, right. yeah, as opposed to like this is fucked exactly. up. Yeah, who the fuck are you? And, yeah. and her weird kind of like self consciousness, totally. Point. The the cashier, right?
1: Because you know the thing is it, when with those kinds of of the whites only, coloreds only, blacks only thing was so clear that white people were never actually exposed to having to say sorry. This is whites only, right? So she was just completely thrown that she actually had to say that out loud.
0: Right. Wow. And it probably, I don't know, you want, I wonder if it had any effect on her. Who knows? How long, but that system was in place so long, huh? It was
1: in place so long. I mean, we, we left in the, you know, in the 80s during the state of emergency. Um, and For safety? Yeah. It was time to, it was time to leave. Huh. Um, and my dad had gone to MIT on a Fulbright and studied urban planning. In the seventies,
0: uh-huh.
1: so he had contacts in Boston.
0: Uh-huh. You know that yeah.
1: that place of racial harmony, sure. and we ended up leaving the no, the South most Africa,
0: segregated city in the in the correct, country. yeah. I said, and, like, so I went to school there, and you know it, when you go back there, and when you really, and I started my doing comedy there, you're like, yeah. wow, this place really hides their black people. They I do. mean, it and it's like it's not like New York that has black neighborhoods, yes. but everybody's sort of around. Mm-hmm. Like in Boston, like they're not even around.
1: No, it is like those the the this in terms of like urban planning. Yeah, it is very clear yeah. where it was then. Yeah. at least. yeah, you West know? Roxbury and, and, yes.
0: uh, and Southie Columbia Point, and Southie. all of you know. Yeah,
1: and uh, so we we immigrated then, and I went to high school um, in a place called Newton, Massachusetts, which was sure very, Newton. Yeah, It was very... actually
0: Roxbury was the black part. West yeah. Roxbury was that's Jews right. correct. Yeah, I, I went to school there too. So you were in you went to when did you guys move there?
1: Eighty five.
0: Okay, and you were how old? 15. So Newton, that's nice.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's very nice. So what happened was my dad asked his people what where was the best public school? And they said Newton. And mm-hmm. he said, "Okay, well, can you help us find a place in Newton?" And they did. And then yeah. we got there and we were like, it's all white people. <laughs> like it was all wealthy white people. Yeah. And I was one of the few, you know, black kids in the school.
0: Um it was really They must intense. have been so thrilled to have allowed you to go there in Newton. <laughs> All the, the, <laughs> the nice Jews and Catholics, were Well, like, yeah, I we mean, finally was, have one.
1: <laughs> they were like, they were like a handful of us, like yeah. a, on one hand, yeah. And then they also had this program called the Metco program, uh-huh. where they bust kids from Dorchester, Roxbury, right, a, right. you know, Mattapan into yeah. the
0: Mattapan, that's into it, yeah. the
1: you know the school, and these yeah. kids were like c- tra- traveling for an hour or more, yeah, getting up at five o'clock in the morning to just to come. go to school
0: with white people. <laughs> What a gift!
1: What a gift! And you know, I, I'll never forget that first day. I was like, lunchtime. I looked around at all these white kids, and yeah. then there was a table of black kids. Yeah, and I just went to go sit there, and they were like, "Who the fuck are you?" <laughs> and I was yeah. like, "My name is Lisa. I'm here from South Africa." Yeah, and yeah. they were for, they were like, first of all, yeah. you don't look African."
0: Uh huh. Oh wow. So you're getting it from all sides. And they were like, "And <laughs> you don't sound African." <laughs>
1: I was like, well, I'm sitting my ass down at this table. <laughs> sort yourselves out.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't know that I, I really was able to, you know, thoroughly, you know, it was fairly recent for me. It was probably with Tana Hesse yeah. Coates' book a, around understanding that self-consciousness of, of the black body or being in a black body at all times. Even with black people at mm-hmm. at some point, so like and, and that in generated some uh, an ability for me to have at least some understanding or or attempted empathy around that just the daily discomfort yeah. and self consciousness. I can't. It's it's insane.
1: It is insane. It is insane. It, you know because you can never go a day without having to think about it.
0: Yeah. And when did you start engaging with? The idea of performance and acting and theater—it was that in Newton.
1: Yeah, it was. You know, I was. It was really rough. I I just felt so alienated. No one knew what apartheid was. No one knew where South Africa was. They thought, it, you know, that was a region, not yeah. the name of a country. You know, and people were dying. I left, a, a, you know, a, a culture where we were talking about politics and. Making a better life every day, yeah. and,
0: and then all of a sudden, welcome to Dum Dum Land.
1: <laughs> well, it's <was> just <laughs> it was you know it was a, it was rough. Yeah. And then a teacher asked me if I wanted to do a play for Black History Month uh-huh. uh, called "For Color Girls Who Considered Suicide When the Rainbow Is Enough," and I was like, "Yeah." And you know, she was like going up to the five black kids. Yeah, yeah, we need you. To do, do this play <laughs>
0: time to step up.
1: Exactly, and yeah. I loved it. It was so wonderful. I just absolutely loved it, and the acting. The acting, the interacting with literature, yeah, you know, the like just spending Having time the with language yeah. like that, and
0: yeah.
1: just all of it, and also you know, finding a community of people who love to read, you know, who who love to talk about this, you know, the stuff that you have to talk about when you work on a yeah. play, or yeah. you know, um, and I just I, I loved it, and then I did a deep dive and re- started reading all this other, you know. Black American literature, plays, and so on. Like
0: what at first um, moved I, I, you the most?
1: I started reading August Wilson. Yeah. Um, the plays. Yeah. Yeah. The plays, and um, you know, and then I started reading poetry, like Langston Hughes and Maya Angelou. I didn't uh-huh. know, you know, some of these Black American writers. I mostly knew African writers. Yeah. Um, and I was just so moved by this literature. Um, oh, that's
0: interesting. It must have been sort of a, yeah. You know, with the promise of America on the minds of many of those black writers and the promise broken must have been very different than uh, the sort of uh, prolonged acceptance of segregation in South Africa. The, the language of freedom mm-hmm. must have been totally different.
1: Listen, the the, the colonial um, struggle right. is very different than, you know... The, the freed the, the, slave that's struggle. That's correct.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah. The legacy, you know, just the, the relationship towards... Um, bondage in this country versus the bondage of of a colonial nation is it's just you know different yeah it's very nuanced but it's different
0: yeah i i again this is something in the last decade that i would you know sort of was really made aware of mm-hmm. through art uh on some uh trip to london i think at a museum just you know because in europe i mean that is the racism they address it's it's post colonialism, yes,
1: exactly. And
0: that language isn't even here.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: You know, we're you know we're just fully trying to educate ourselves on what we have here, which is a a indentured servitude, mm-hmm. slavery based mm-hmm. racism. Mm-hmm. So the whole colonial racism, I was like, wow, mm-hmm. there's a whole other trip, man, and it's most everywhere else in the world, correct? Other than here,
1: that's correct. Yeah, yeah. No, it's exactly, and so you know, just just. Being able to kind of immerse myself in 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 literature and yeah. culture and art, I started to feel like a human being again. I started to feel like a you know like a person that had purpose.
0: What was the experience of what was being offered to you as and and was I imagine very real uh, freedom here?
1: Right, that's the 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 real thing is <laughs> you know is. I I think I signed up for every single extracurricular activity that the school (laughs) provided because I was so... Overwhelmed with choice.
0: Yeah, I bet you know, and yeah. that no one was telling me you can't be yeah. in this club. Right, right. You might have got some towny stink guy at places. <laughs> right, but <laughs> but towny stink guy is different than a law. Oh,
1: that's correct. Oh man, is that true? <laughs> so true. Yeah. No, I mean, it was. I felt like I I felt like I was in Disneyland. Once I kind of found my way, yeah. I was like vice president of my class. Right. I was in Model UN. Yeah. I you know I was in the dance club. I uh, was just like you know I had terrible grades because I was so busy
0: right <laughs> but I mean with busy the, being free but right right <laughs> and but but with with the interests that were sort of built in you from your father yeah. and from you know just having a, a, a mind that that you know was progressive it must have been just a, a amazing to fill it
1: that's exactly right yeah it was you know and I do have like a, a voracious curiosity yeah, 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 um, right. and I, I love people in every one of those clubs you get to meet new kids and talk to them and yeah. you know um, and I just you know I had friends in every corner of the school right. which was better than mm-hmm. the like the sad shut-in that I was in the beginning you mm-hmm. know my, my my mom God bless her would take me to the movies because I had no friends you oh, know what I mean oh, like wow, it was yeah, just yeah. like oh, that was a, how, it, how it goes.
0: Sad kid life. Yeah <laughs> but it changed. Yeah. And when theater you started helped me change stuff. that. Yeah, theater helped theater me. Theater did it. changed. Freed yeah. you. Saved your totally. life. It literally saved my life. You were with life. the weirdos. <laughs> I wasn't for- even
1: with the weirdos. I was alone. And then I was with the weirdos. Yeah, right.
0: <laughs> Finally, the weirdos. Saved yeah, by the weirdos. Totally. Theater kids are always saved by the It's like the greatest. You know, I've yeah. talked to a lot of them. Um, so you just pursued it and you didn't go back to South Africa or you did
1: no so when I was in grad school in Rhode Island oh. um, my parent my you know Mandela come was back freed yeah. my, Mandela was freed yeah. and they you know they needed qualified black people to come back and they asked my dad he was an urban planner what was
0: it? what was the family experience around M- Mandela being freed
1: oh I mean it was euphoric it was we, we didn't actually think it could happen in our lifetime we were always so afraid that he would die in prison yeah it was, you know, like it was this, I can't, this terrifying, wow. terrifying prospect that, yeah. you know, what would happen.
0: Um, if he died.
1: Yeah. You know, that scene in the movie where he, where Forrest Whitaker says to her after Emel Kades, who's yeah. going to lead us now. Right. I mean, that was something that I felt like we lived with all the time. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so when he was freed, it was just like, it was, it, it was just. Crazy. It was, it, it was like a religious experience. Yeah. You know, and then they asked my my dad to come back. And were they? Parents, were you
0: crying at home? Were there? Was oh cr- my
1: god! No, no, we were. And then he came through Boston to like that a Hatch Shell. Yeah. Um, and we went, you know, to listen to him yeah. speak, and it was just like it was insane. I can't. Imagine. It was insane. Yeah. Um, and as my dad said, you know, when he heard him speak the first time when he came out and he yeah. spoke at the you know the parade in Cape Town. Yeah. He said um, his politics remains uncompromised, yeah. which was, like, great. <laughs> Did it ultimately? Listen, when he became president... <laughs>
0: yeah. You got to do what you got to do Economic president. pressures, yeah. you know, yeah.
1: certainly there are people who wish that he would nationalize the mines, yeah. that he would take all that money away from all the white people, right. the Europeans who owned yeah. it, and, you know, redistribute it. Yeah. But, you know, the, the, the wrath of, you know, the capitalist rest of the world would have killed that country.
0: It's interesting that uh, you, you know you find over time that you, you know it's, most governments become puppets of some kind or another, and, and you know the ones that really don't are are sort of totalitarian or fascistic, and you know it's it's uh, hard
1: to resist the, the, the forces of the power of the market, the yeah. hammer that is the market.
0: Yeah, well, that's the way the whole thing's built. Yeah,
1: it's the, literally the way the whole thing's built. Yeah. And you know, if I learned one thing growing up in a Marx household, is that economic systems are world systems. Yeah. So if you're either everybody has to be Marxist or communist, yeah. or everybody has to be, you know, capitalist, and even the social, you know, the 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 more socialist countries, yeah. you you got to hold on to, to yeah that, to the the ruling system is capitalism.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely not the democracy business. Uh, Say it. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah. uh, that idea. Shit. Yeah. Shit. yeah.
1: So you know, it was, it was. I remember actually, this is a funny story. When I was in high school, yeah, uh, a, high, a history teacher, because of course it's the eighties, it's the Cold War. Yeah. There was the segment where he was explaining communism, socialism, right, and capitalism to yeah. the class, yeah. and I will never yeah. forget that he. This is he said. I know you guys. So, you did the reading on what communism and Marxism uh, and socialism is. And I mean, I bet that it, to you it sounded kind of good. And he did this motion with his hands where he <laughs> yeah, kind of yeah, like yeah, yeah. twisted it around yeah.
0: kind of good.
1: But I'm here to tell you that it is never going to work. Uh-huh. And, you know, the system that our system is the system that, that makes the most sense. Those were experiments. And I was sitting in the back horrified because of course at this point yeah. that was just like opposite to everything I'd been taught. Right, And I went home to my dad and I was like, you know what? They were telling the children today in, <laughs> yeah. in history class. And I explained this whole thing yeah. and he just like shook his head and he goes, Americans, he goes, just, just don't say anything. Don't pretend you've never <laughs> yeah, heard of any, you've never heard of any of it before. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> Put your head down while we're here. Yes. You don't want to be identified as one of them. I know. Yeah. But yeah, I you must have though by the time you got to college you must have been able to sort of uh, aggregate everything you came from and everything yeah. you were learning into some identity.
1: Totally. Yeah, <laughs> you know. and the identity was uh, performer. a performer. A performer. Actor, theater person. That was Yeah, the identity. but
0: but but what about sort of uh black woman you marxist? Know,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean it was it was um it was never easy because yeah. Um you know I had a whole culture and a whole identity that I came from that right. was not American. Yeah. Um and I had a whole identity with struggle that was not American. Yeah. And so at times you know I think that was ver- that was d- difficult to to negotiate um without seeming like um I was above it or I was separate from it. Mhm. Um but again I you know I'm 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 just a person who approaches things with a lot of analysis yeah. you know like with, I was tr- trained to You know, speak about politics. You know, with a kind of cool um, intellectual rigor, Mm
0: -hmm. um,
1: which is you know not always endearing.
0: Sure, and also you know not you know that popular. (laughs) Exactly. You know, in, in just general conversations, I would imagine with. Uh, m- medium informed Americans mm-hmm. at a yeah. student level.
1: Absolutely. And I also, when I, any conversation about race happened, I always want to talk about class,
0: which is not the conversation here. But it should be. Of course. But I mean, but it's... No, like no, some... of
1: course. And it felt like I was either avoiding it or I was, you know, the question of race or I was trying to, you know, but it, it, it I was just like, I don't know how to talk about race without talking about class. Yeah. <laughs> I was so fun to be
0: around. Right. Well, I mean, but those are the real <laughs> conversations. But yeah. somehow or another, this, this culture, this country... Uh, you know, I think in order to keep the blindfolds on the uh, the the lower classes who believe they're just a the paycheck away from middle class have somehow negated that conversation. 100%. And it, yeah. And only until like, you know, Bernie Sanders brings it up. People are like, what's he talking? Like, yeah, there's it happens here. percent. Yeah. But, you know, there, but yeah, we can talk mm-hmm. politics. But but so how does uh, when does acting in and of itself become uh, limited to you?
1: Um, after grad school, I moved to New York, and I had been directing things all along. Like Wait, that, so
0: where'd you go to undergrad? Uh,
1: I actually didn't go to undergrad. Huh. I went to... I studied... I had. I got into Brandeis University like a good Jewish girl from, yeah, good, <laughs> from <laughs> Newton, Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah. um, I totally absorbed that culture. Yeah. Um, and I dropped out, and then I... You know, my dad forced me to go back, and I went to, like, BC, BU. I went through all of the B schools in oh, Boston. Because really? I just wanted to do theater, and yeah. he was... You didn't he study
0: theater s- anywhere.
1: He, I finally had to like, I had to get my, I, I escaped to London. Yeah. I did this program in Oxford at Oxford where I studied, you know, classical classical theater, and then I got to London because a woman who who taught at Claire Davidson, who taught at the, at that program in Oxford, had yeah. a school, a drama school in London, and she offered me a place there. And I had to like basically tell my parents, I am not going to go to law school. Yeah. This is what I'm going to do.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. And
1: I had to like put an ocean between us to get the courage up to to tell, Uh to to really say, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. Um,
0: How did it land? Not well. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) It's very like typical immigrant story. No,
0: I know. Yeah. What Um, are you doing?
1: Exactly. You know, but I just. You know
0: what we went through?
1: Exactly. All the sacrifices for this. Yeah. 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 But, you know, it was it was a compulsion. There was yeah. no other no, choice, I, yeah,
0: well, that's good. I you mean you it's a gift to have that and a curse, yes, yeah,
1: so true. But so I studied, you know, acting at this place, and then I when I was done, I came back to Boston. I worked at a place called Project Afrique, which was a it was an experimental federally funded program in Roxbury to take care of families at risk. And I worked with the toddlers. Hmm. Um, of these families, I was a, a preschool teacher.
0: At risk, what does that? What does that include?
1: It includes, you know, issues of drug abuse in the family, mm-hmm. and, you know, mm-hmm. violence in the family, right. um, and it was a, an attempt to kind of holistically, from all sides, which is what holistic means, right. help right. mothers and families. Um, so it provided childcare. it Provided. You oh know,
0: man, was that the first time? Did that? Well, I guess it wouldn't. But I mean, did was the context of that? Something that you could identify as the result of these class issues and these yes. race yeah. is that where the uh, some sort of awakening might have taken place about the nature of America
1: well, I think it was just you know I, I couldn't escape the feeling that I had to still be contributing something to society, hmm. you know yeah. and that was one of the biggest arguments we had. My dad and I was right. like theater is a pursuit of the white bourgeois. Yes. And, you know, come to find out he was not wrong, like, right. you know, years right. later, but, right. you know, that you had to be making a contribution. So I felt like, okay, I was going to be an actor in Boston, which I was. I was auditioning and doing shows, but I was also doing that. I was like 21, 22 in my day
0: right but that's interesting that well giving back but the but the idea the, the I guess the idealistic and, and, uh, and probably a bit intellectual and romantic notion of theater being for the people and of the people is really limited by the uh, amount of people that really give a shit about theater
1: exactly I <laughs> and, mean you and see and me make like, directing movies now right you know
0: but, but it's always there that idea that yeah. that theater can function as some sort of, uh, y- you know, community space.
1: I, you know, and I, I still believe it because I've seen, I've, I've been, I've done work where I have seen communities transformed by what we put on stage. But at the end of the day, and honestly, this is why I moved yeah. into film and television, I just, the eyeballs are limited. And well, what, film and television just gets more people looking at, at it.
0: Yeah, but, but it's not as uh, uh, visceral, Obviously, and it does not feel like there's nothing like the feeling of of being at the theater uh, and watching actors act and and the play live. But but it is not something that we somehow were taught culturally to respect or engage with. No, it is still quite an elitist art form, isn't it? Well, I guess so. or, or, Or seemingly amateur but it's not really no No, no, not at all you know but like i think that anything to a lot of people that isn't off broadway or a couple blocks away is somehow like it's either too weird or or it's not it's amateur right but i don't i don't know where this stuff lives you know i i mean because i imagine at some point you were doing you know i don't know your whole resume but the theater that that you were started directing seemed to be around uh you know black issues women issues
1: well yes and so like when i was it was in new york for a couple of years as an actor and i just felt like oh god i can't i have no control over these projects i have to wait on people and also like some of this stuff is shit and i was being some of the directors i was working with i was like these people don't know anything yeah i felt like they didn't know how to block i felt like they didn't know how to talk to actors yeah and you know Couple of shows, I became a you know a force for darkness because actors love nothing more than to hang out with people who are mad and like yeah. what are you mad at? I am yeah, going to be yeah. mad too. Like day one, first they, rehearsal, what the fuck is this? I know, and I was exuding dissatisfaction, yes. ire, and they, you know, I started getting like this following of actors like, ooh, I'm going to be I, pissed I, with you.
0: I barely saw you get mildly cranky on set, and I was like, I don't want to be. That's if she got real mad, I don't even want to be in the room.
1: You were correct. <laughs> But, you know, then I was like, this is actually not how I want to function. I don't want to be this pissed all the time. And I certainly don't want groupies of people pissed, you know, like secondary pissed. You don't
0: want to be the leader of the pissed. No. So
1: I was like, I think I have to put my money where my mouth is. Yeah. And that's when I was like, I'm going to start directing then if I think I'm so damn smart. Right. Um, And I did. I worked in New York, you know, a series of executive assistant jobs and then restaurant jobs and I saved every penny and I self-produced like downtown, off-off mm. off Broadway. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, and what, I,
0: what choices were you making?
1: So, um, I did something called Shakespeare the parking lot and yeah. <laughs> this parking lot in the Lower East Side and Where? I did a production of, oh gosh, Ludlow Street, okay, I Okay, yeah. And I did a production of uh, Love's Labor's Lost there.
0: to get some attention? Yeah. Yeah.
1: And then I did this thing for the Fringe, an adaptation of, of uh, Two Gentlemen of Verona called Two Girls from Vermont and i put like it was, there was like drag queens in it and yeah. a whole bunch of Britney spears songs it was like a you know like a, a fiesta thing. a fun yeah. funny and uh, people came campy to that thing. Yeah. yeah and you know got a lot of attention and what's funny is like those were my early things when it was just left up to me yeah um, and then I started working with playwrights like Tracy yeah and Lynn Nottage and you know all these other incredible women and then I started kind of becoming known as a person who's who did political theater did you
0: know Carly and Liz from from glow
1: Yes Carly I knew
0: yeah yeah she's yeah. the best yeah, yeah yeah yeah
1: so you know the 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 thing just sort of organically morphed into material focused on on um, like race and politics when and you so started working that, with
0: playwrights, mm-hmm, right
1: mm-hmm. Um but you know, I had this I have this passion for music for musicals. Uh-huh. Um and so I did, you, did that for a while and did you then direct I directed mo- musicals? Mm-hmm. And then I moved into musicals and it's, Shakespeare. I just wanted to do everything.
0: But yeah, but it seemed like, you know, just from glancing over some of the stuff about you that, you know, you were willing to move places to do the job.
1: Yeah. Why, I mean why, I love why, travel.
0: Well what was that? Were those like you you would do how? Why were you in so many different places? Where would these places go? Did they have you out to do a run? Yeah, is they that would, how it worked?
1: So you they bring you out, you know. So I've I've worked all over East Africa. I've worked in Canada, and you know I've worked with German writers, French writers, and then all over America. And what happens is they bring you out to whatever town for the rehearsal process. That's like six weeks to direct, six to eight weeks to di- to rehearse and direct. You know, each city has like a multi. Ten million dollar, twenty million dollar.
0: But you represent taking an exciting risk.
1: Yes, I think that is true. And so, some places, I would, I was the first person who looked like me directing a play in that building, right? You know, and so sometimes you're met with this like hostility and this expectation that you're some kind of you know affirmative action (laughs) hire, even though it's 2010. Yeah, Um, and other places they're like, thank God, finally.
0: Yeah, right, right, right.
1: Um, And so you know you just you just do your thing you you know you, you block out the 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 resistance
0: and skepticism that's so interesting because those are the two ways of seeing it yep. and, and they still are that they like still are because i talk to guys you know white writers who are my age who We're like no no no, man yeah i'm, I'm probably not going to get the job they're probably going to give it to another type of person another like, type of person because the threat is it's it's I, I guess it is fundamentally uh, insensitive at, at at the least and racist or misogynistic at the worst. Right. But it's it's what's happening is actually a more competitive environment is unfolding.
1: That's exactly correct. And, you yeah. know, there's something that really pisses me off is when, you know, you hear a writer or a director going, well, you know, I, 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 it's just like it's not my time. Yeah, I mean it's been your time for uh, about 500 years, but okay. But the point, or like their agent told them that there's just like there's no way. Yeah. And I want to yeah. say to them all: a, agent, stop saying that bullshit to right, your clients. Right. Yeah. And b, look at the statistics. Yeah. It's not like we're taking over. Yeah, we are. It's
0: still minuscule. And and it, and it's 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 uh, sincerely representational, but also it's really the fact that so many people have been carried along yes. by the system and their friends. That, you know, it, the system has become myopic, mm-hmm. and it becomes impossible to have, you know, honest representation in the expression. So, it, I, what's really frightening to these guys is not so much they're just, you know, aggravated white guys who, who feel like they're being pushed out, but it's become honestly competitive. Honestly competitive. <laughs>
1: Finally. Exactly.
0: <laughs> and what, what you stand to gain from that is a widening of the vision.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean listen even like look at this movie me and Tracy working on this movie even 5 years ago a big studio film like this yeah. would have probably had a white dude writing it and a white dude directing it even though it was about a black woman's life Yeah. right, right. so the fact that it was the two of us is still an anomaly a big studio mm-hmm. movie like this mm-hmm. you know what i mean mm-hmm. um so it's just like there the 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 the, the, like the, the pro- progress is
0: incremental still sure sure but they they do it's funny because it it's like i keep trying to figure out how to phrase this but they, they seem to be having some success in integrating fiction <laughs> fictional representations of people yeah i don't Very i don't know true. i don't know if it's going to actually fix the things in the real world but it looks like the fake world is is becoming a little more diverse that is correct <laughs> Oh man, For yeah, real? yeah. But I mean, I think it has to have, uh, you know, positive implications around. Just you know, in terms of the, you know, at the helm. But then that spreads out. So you know, whatever Jennifer's comfort level will be. I mean, it's just like no matter how non-racist or or or, or progressive you know, a a white executive or a white director or a white producer is going to be, and we've all learned to live with this, but the connection is going to run deeper if you're like-minded and of the same ilk as the person, right?
1: I think that's true, and there's also just like a level of authenticity that you have to fight for. Yeah,
0: yeah. So in terms of like the sort of capturing because like there is a focus like I just watched all of uh, Barry Jenkins uh, Underground Railroad and and it had a profound effect. I mean, there's been like the, the last few weeks have been sort of profound for me mm. somehow around this stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know really why. But, you know, that the attention he pays to this, I didn't read the book, but it becomes sort of like. A, a poetic examination, a filmic examination of of the foundation of American racism mm-hmm. and the br- the brutality of it, mm-hmm. and the only counter uh, uh, valence to it, and the only means of survival was uh, community tenderness, some faith, but just that humanity somehow. Yes. And he really manages that, you know, and the way he portrays the black experience and his passion and and focus on. The aesthetic of the black body uh, is something he's highly aware of, and and it, and it's a celebration in all its horror.
1: He he's his way of shooting the black body is so profound. I mean, I thought in Moonlight was yeah. it was a revelation.
0: And what? How did you conceive? Like the, you mu- you must have been aware of how you were going to approach that.
1: Absolutely. I mean, the way I think about this movie, you know, is so. I grew up watching a lot of classic Hollywood movies with my grandma. Yeah. And she loved Grace Kelly. She loved those yeah, kinds of sure. glamorous, beautiful, you know, beautifully dressed, highly stylish, you know, Hollywood glamour. But we never ever saw any movies with ourselves in them. Mm. And so I knew that part of what I wanted to do with respect is create a film like that, like a classic Hollywood movie yeah. with glamour and beauty where you wanted right. a. Wear those clothes and sit on that mid-century chair and drink yes. that cocktail. Yeah,
0: yeah, exactly. Have yeah. a you
1: know drink that bourbon. Yeah, the way that they are because yeah. that's how I think when you're doing period right, that's what you want. You want to yeah. just sink into it. Yeah, and so I wanted to make that kind of movie that my you know my grandmother would have just absolutely loved to see mm-hmm. herself in. Um, so there was definitely an aesthetic to that, and also, you know, Kramer and I talked a lot about you know lighting the the black characters and. I just wanted black people who watch this film to feel bathed in love.
0: You know what was great, and I think that that definitely comes through. But it was, you know, black hair when you wake up. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like so, like that. You don't. You don't really see that. Yeah. Right. So there's a couple of scenes with Jennifer where she's you know in bed or or getting it together and certainly towards you know yeah. the breakdown where the honesty of of what it, what it, I think what it implies mm-hmm. is the effort it yes. takes to be presentable to a white culture uh, as a black person yes
1: 100% yeah. yeah and that that again that comes from the writer, or the director, having a lived experience mm. of walking around Earth with our black hair. You know <laughs> what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, so, so for me, it was really like I wanted to make a beautiful film. I wanted it to be aspirational um, and romantic and, and feel like all the things that Hollywood has done to inspire us visually we could have in this movie. For black people,
0: too. yeah, uh, and I, I think that's that came across, and it's great. And also, was like when I've been doing these interviews and talking about, it, you know, the movie, like you know, where there's a couple of moments that that she like sort of transcends, like when when Aretha had to sing at national events, uh, uh, well, well, mostly at Martin Luther King's funeral. A national event of mourning that Jennifer had to do the song and do the acting mm-hmm. I mean that was sort of amazing
1: it's astounding what she did yeah it's astounding I remember actually at that, at that scene that you're talking about the MLK memorial Forest Whitaker coming out to me and saying you know he said this this feels like a religious experience well, yeah you
0: know and, and then you really like when I watched it last night I'm like well you know she is ha- you know personally has a yeah. resource of grief she does, right? She
1: really does. Yeah. It was, you know, at times I thought to myself, "What kind of an asshole are you asking her to go to these places and to do? And, yeah, you know, to right. do these things? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, what's wrong with you?" But right. all I can t- can say is, we we knew what that those days were going to be brutal. Uh, some of it was not. It was really really hard. Was it? Um, yeah. I mean, you just. I remember one day. We were actually working on that scene Witch. in the church where she yeah. has the breakdown, and she's singing "Precious Memories," and mm-hmm. she's singing about yeah. her mother. And she, you know, we had to take a break. I think we were doing a turnaround. She yeah. was, she sat, she was sitting in the aisles, and she was just still crying because yeah. whatever she had to do to get herself there, she yeah. was still there. You yeah. know, mm. that's the thing people don't understand. You don't say cut, and then you're like wipe your tears. Like to get as an actor to get yourself into such a harrowing yeah. emotional place you yeah. don't turn it on and off
0: it's weird when you open it up yeah yes exactly
1: yeah. that's what Marlon was saying to me all the time
0: yeah
1: and I went up to her and she just kind of looked up to me up, up at me and she was there was just like a haze and she said is it over yet and <laughs> oh, I said no <laughs> honey we gotta just we're <laughs> gonna do that, a turnaround, turn it around and then she just like sort of sat back and I I I literally watched her keep the 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 ball in the air yeah you know, yeah. so that she could finish it.
0: That was a long day in that church. I was there. <laughs> it was a long day. When, the, when she did the, for the recording of the movie part? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those extras were getting salty.
1: I know. Rowdy. <laughs> <laughs> we, I mean, we had, the, all the church scenes, those Atlanta extras, they felt like they were, that it was their movie and they had ownership and they were, you know, it was church for them every day. Yeah, yeah. It was real. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, it's really going to be interesting to see how these different communities who, who, who hold her so dear I, I mean i think most people who like music do but i think that you know the the black community and in the gay community are going to be the deciders on this. you think work. so <laughs> do you? yeah
1: or the the, the, the fans oh, are. The, and the
0: church i guess yeah yeah
1: i mean i think people of faith for sure yeah um i mean i, I this movie has uh, has already You know, even I've had interviews with journalists who who were very moved by it.
0: Oh, no, you can tell when you talk to people. Yeah. When they've seen it and they're like, hey. Yeah. You know, and they're not sort of like, they're not picking angles, you know, where they're trying to avoid saying anything positive. Yeah, they literally
1: just want to talk about all the parts of the movie, which is always like, thank God. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, because it's, I just focused on making it, but when I ever allowed myself to take a second and look back, step back and go, you're making the Aretha Franklin biopic. You know, you could just yeah. want to kill yourself.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> it's so sure. overwhelming. Sure, you know, and yeah. you just
1: But you just stay focused. You know, in the moment, and also you the-
0: had this this chunk, right? So you you had this story. So I mean, on some level, you must have found a certain amount of solace in that. Yeah, you're, you're not, you know, you're you're, only, you're making the biopic, but just till seventy two. That's right.
1: <laughs> That's right. I'm no
0: fool. <laughs> well, congratulations.
1: Oh, thanks, Mark. And
0: it was great talking to you. Great working with you. And Likewise. I, a, I appreciate you casting me.
1: True pleasure, and you killed it. Thank you. Yeah.
0: Diesel <laughs> Tommy. And me, talking about the movie she directed with me in it. Respect, starring me and Jennifer Hudson and Marlon Wayans. Respect, with me in it, is uh, in theaters now. Here, I'm going to play that West ball now. Yeah. It's going to happen. Cat angels everywhere. Ah.